Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beyond the Mat podcast, hosted by Emmanuel Clauser and Jared Rowan. A space for you to transcend your yoga beyond your mat and into your life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Mat. We are super excited to introduce our first guest of the season today. Welcome back to Beyond the Mat. Today, we are very excited to have Abby Galvin, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her and her yoga experience, which is always a loaded question, but take it away, Abby. A loaded question? (laughs) (laughs) Well, could could be a lot. Could be a long-winded question. Sometimes oh, we have yoga teachers on and it's like, do you want the condensed version? Yeah, I got, I, I got it. Yes, it could be long. Well, it, you know, first of all, it could be very long because I am 67 years old. But, um, you know, just like life, just like anything in life, it's gone through, you know, crests and falls and hills and valleys of all sorts of, uh, you know, different yoga. But my... Um, my most significant yoga experience, my formative, my formative yoga experience was weird and um, generally uninspiring, but really interesting. So, you know, like people with the turbans on their heads and the, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the weird stuff where mm-hmm. I, didn't, you know, I didn't um, respond all that way in terms of, I don't know, in terms of having the spiritual experience that was being had by those around me. So I felt a little alienated and I was really looking for something I could grab my mind around. I could grab my body around anything, but my imagination was not captured. My curiosity was piqued, but like, because these were like weird people. I've never seen anything like it before, you know, like only with the robes and the turbans or the, you know, or the, or the Sanskrit, you know, which wasn't my language. I didn't know what they were saying, but when I found Naveen, Mm Um, I realized that this was a yoga and you know, it was the same yoga poses, but this was the yoga that um, really made sense to my brain. Right. Like and I this really understood it. And I think this is Naveen is the founder of Katoni yoga. Naveen is the founder of Katoni yoga. Mm-hmm. And she had studied um, uh, with the Hindus, with the Chinese, you know, and I think that she was more in line with the Chinese theory than she was in the Hindu theory. But then as we progressed through the next few decades, anything that we were interested in, everybody brought their own, you know, their own lens Mm. to it, which is the strength of our material, that whatever you are, whoever you are, you overlay that on Katona yoga. And Katona yoga, what we're most interested in is the natural world. So great nature or universal metaphors. And that's why I think one of your questions was, you know, what's off the mat and on the mat and how yeah. they, yeah. right. And the way that they have a dialogue between what you're doing on your mat and what you're doing in your life is universal ideas, universal principles. And that's why your yoga practice really is no different than the progression of your personal narrative. Wow. And, and that's a lot of our listeners are kind of really interested in taking the concepts because we have a, a lot of yogis but and uh, people that are, are just living life and want to know, oh, these yoga concepts, you can apply them to a challenge in your life or to a hard time or to a hardship. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying is that's directly kind of what that's a big principle of Katoni yoga 
It's figuring out what tools and techniques you can take with you, right? Use them. Yes. Because, you know, I think that, you know, uh, people don't need to work harder. They need to figure out what they need Mm -hmm. and then what fuels and feeds and facilitates that, what techniques you want to use. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, we all need love. We all need good work. We all need to be seen, to be understood. And we all need self-knowledge, right? Self-awareness. So a lot of, um, a lot of the techniques are these universal ideas of like exploring the body as your house. Everybody lives in a house, exploring the glands as a car or a garden, because everybody has these universal references that we can all share. And then the idea of using numbers, which we do, because yeah. numbers are not cultural. They are universal. Right. So the, the reference of these things, um, it can be referenced in nature. And of course, the seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has seasons, whether you're, you know, whatever hemisphere you're in. You still, even if you live in a, in a, a, a culture that it's always summer, it's not really always summer. You know, California does have seasons. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, we know how to divide things. We know how to read maps. And then when I say we, I mean everybody, right? Everybody can find a bottom, a middle, a top. Everybody can divide space, front, middle, back. And then each direction, each, each area, each quadrant has a meaning, partly from Chinese medicine, partly from feng shui partly from face reading. I mean, just like there are universal ideas that all uh, modalities use and overlay and reference. And then people interpret them in various ways that we have adopted. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I'm doing some trainings with Abby and I was just watching the personal practice one. And something that I really loved that you said was about first nature, second nature, third nature, And you essentially said, you know, a lot of yoga, not making a generalization, but to make a generalization, several, you know, there are many teachers that are kind of just getting to their second nature. They're not doing the third nature where they're really taking concepts in yoga and navigating life change in their own lives. Can you say anything about that or before we jump into some of the other questions? Well, this is a big one for us. First nature is innate. It is what you came into this world with and to do and, you know, all the potentialities. So it is part of your inheritance. So that's like what we refer to as our left side, our innocence without reality to it or without experience to it. It's just the potential of who you are, what you came to this world with. Second nature on your right, second nature is what you learn. So it is acquired. So innate. And acquired. You have the potential to read, you learn how to read, you sound out letters. And then third nature is what you're going to do with it, how you're going to use it to become who you are. Are you going to read all the classics? Are you going to write the great American novel? Are you going to, um, are you really going to use um, reading as part of your life or what you're going to read? Are you going to read uh, romance novels? Are you going to read Emily Dickinson? Are you going to be a poet? You know, like all these things. And so everything can be kind of like 
looked at by virtue of this braid. And it is a braid. They are not separate because we are not linear beings. We are spherical beings. So everything is sort of like, well, it's a Mobius strip. Well, it's a braid that holds together. And that's how you hold yourself together. If you don't have a third nature, there's always going to be something, imagination, choice. Their nature is implicit. Mm. Implicit, not seen. So it's those capacities you have to really make a choice, to have a big imagination, to um, create yourself. It's your soul. Yeah. How yeah. you use all of these things around you to have a self. So we also refer to the center as the self and the circumference are your life circumstances. So the self and the circumference the, um, is really about the relationship, your radius, your personal radiance between what's inside you and what's around you and how you use it to your advantage. That is another way of seeing what we refer to as Trinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that. And it, Definitely the Katona practice really makes, uh, for me personally, it allowed me to feel like I had so much choice in life. And like, it brought me back to a place where I, you know, I think you've talked a lot about this, but just being able to mediate things in your life, doing more, doing less, you know, it puts you really, like you said, at the center of circumstance to really navigate rather than just like show up to yoga, sweat exercise, and then what? Right, right, right. So if you have an imagination and you are really using it in your practice, it will open up pieces of your neurology, pieces of your imagination, aspects of your brain that um, you may not otherwise get by just working with the embodiment. Because when people work in the embodiment, it stays like a a linear game. Mm -hmm. Do this. Do that. You know, that's why teachers who call out poses are not, first of all, it's not really teaching. And second of all, no one's having an esoteric experience. So, you know, there's something to be said about when a teacher is really reading the room. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So there's a, a dimension to be had, whether you're a student or a teacher, that you can start to um develop yourself in a way that also you'll develop your practice. And I was going to ask, like, for someone that is like, okay, maybe that's me. Maybe I can incorporate, like, some of that either in my practice or in my teaching. Where do you say people can get started with doing that, being more embodied, you know? Okay. So the first thing to do, you know, it's very rudimentary and really it is very practical because there is nothing that's mystical that doesn't have a practical substantiation to it, right? Because when people think that it's all woo-woo and magical and if it's not grounded, <laughs> it doesn't count. Let's look at that one. It is not going to be sustainable. You know, it's sort of like how, um, you know, like primal scream is not going to be an insight. It's going to be a catharsis. Yeah. Right. You want something that's going to be sustainable. So there are techniques. And so we're very big into um, techniques of all kinds, because when your technique is good and they repeat that technique over and over and over again in time, you have what we refer to as Wu Wei, which is effortless effort. And that is when you are spherical. So let me answer it this way. The first thing you do, the very first thing you do is to be able to sit at a right angle. Because when you're sitting at a right angle, you're putting yourself on what we refer to as a plumb line. So in a building, it's a plumb line in architecture. 
In um, Chinese theory, it's the Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. In Sanskrit, it's the um, axis mundi. So from the universe, through your skull, through your throat, through your torso, all the way down past the perineum to the center of the earth, we refer to it as the golden thread. Okay. So it is that thread that connects you from the universal into the personal. So when you're sitting at a right angle and you are on the spit, so to speak, or the thread, your diaphragm is in the right place. You're sitting on your perineum. You have a right angle from your shoulders to your hips to your feet or your knees, however you're sitting. Your adrenals are available in the back. Your lungs are available in the front. So it's the first thing that you do is to orient yourself, to set yourself up so you're available in every direction, so that you are in the center of your own sphere, so that you eventually become a sphere of influence. So that's the first thing. So I always set people up. When they come in the studio, I don't know them. I try and set them up. If there are not too many new people at once, I try and set them up at a right angle just so they can hear a little bit of theory, orient themselves to the room. Because when you walk in our room, what you see is that all the mats are facing each other. Mm -hmm. And that is because we learn from each other by virtue of reflection. So if you are facing me, my right and your right cross-reference each other. Mm -hmm. Your left and my left cross-reference. And that's why we don't do yoga in the mirror. Because Which I, I love one thing you said, and I, I, I did a podcast for therapy, but I brought this quote up that you said, so I, I didn't steal it. I did reference you, uh, but I, I was <laughs> taking, I was taking a training and you said mirrors show us what we already see. And I'm like, oh my God, that felt like just insightful. Like, oh my God. I, yeah. I always get this question when I do training. Oh, it's it's through do, other people yeah. that I learn. Yeah, it's like, should I do yoga in the mirror so I can like watch myself? And it's like, no, all you're doing is looking at your own habits. All you're doing is looking at what you're doing unconsciously. It's like, it does not give you any information. We always say things like, uh, look around, look at other yeah. people, look at how they're using their props, look what interesting things they're discovering, look how they're managing to uh, interpret this. So always look at other people. So when we do body reading, which is a big part of our, also our, our therapeutic aspect of our practice. I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we are learning from each other. I'm not doing you or telling you who you are. We are learning from each other. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, um, I'm looking at you, but I'm looking at you through my lens, right? And I try and use information. And that is why in order to really give someone true insight about themselves, that's not about me looking at you, we use information that is formal and not personal. Yes. Yeah. Um, so formality is like a map. Formality is like a clock. Formality is a recipe. Formality is a formula. Formality is a magical spell. It is formal. It's not how you do it. And then I'll do it my way and you do it your way because that is personal. You might as well do yoga in the mirror. Yeah. And I think you said, you know, we need these formal techniques and tools because when emotions get involved, we can't make the decisions based on emotions in our lives. We have to make decisions based on the tools and techniques. Right. To help us make those decisions. Right. If you make a chocolate chip cookie and you've never done it before, use a recipe. Don't just throw shit in a bowl. Right. Because otherwise it's going to be your personal, like, you know, well, I would get like sugar. I'm going to put half the box in. Right. So, and I don't like that because it smells bad. I'm not going to use that at all. Well, you're going to have like a mess. Right. Or if you're knitting a sweater for somebody, you want it to come out with two arms, a, a really nice neck that's even, right? 
And if you're not following a pattern, you know, it's going to come out like this, right? So you want to use technique that really gives you something that is formal, something that's not you. That's why we use props, because props give you scaffolding. So, you know, after a while, first you use a lot of props, but after a while, you don't use props. After a while, the your imagination are the props. You know, like, you know, uh, you know, it's the same thing with adjusting. The beauty of it, a good adjustment is to allow you to let go of the investment you have and how you are personally doing it so that you can um, experience what it is to be in a pose that's the ideal version of that pose. So we allow you to reference the ideal, but eventually you do it your, on your own. And that's why the, the, the beauty of a yoga practice personally is a home practice mm-hmm. where you are your own teacher. And that's why yes. if you're a teacher, you don't try and keep your students forever. You move them to other teachers so they hear it another way. Yes. You allow, you you encourage them to do home practice. You don't keep them is you don't um uh you, you don't trick them into thinking that you're just you're, that you're indispensable to them. First of all, you're not, yeah. and <laughs> second of all, it's not useful. Right. I'm and sure. I think like that's so true, and also so refreshing to hear because you know, I firmly believe in that. And you can learn, like, if you want to learn different things, you got to go to different people, you know, and try new things. And in that way, you can kind of have your own personal experience and you can speak from that. But I find sometimes that teachers and maybe just because of nature of where I am in my personal experience of like, are very attached to their students or like the number of people in class and just kind of want to hold on so tightly. And like you said, I, I do feel it's doing the students a disservice at the end of the day to just like try to hold on so tight. Well, there's something emotional about that that doesn't serve anybody. And I think it comes from, you know, I mean, it could come from lots of things, you know, fear that they're going to lose their income or fear that people uh, won't um, respect them or, you know, that they're well liked, you know, it's affirmation. But if you need the affirmation from the students, um, it will always go south. Always. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much vast stuff that we can cover, but one thing we definitely wanted to ask you about was your thoughts on repetition in in the practice of yoga benefits and then taking it off the mat and how that can be. Right. So think of the idea of repetition of anything. If you have, you know, one line of knitting, you'll have one line of knitting. But if you have like 10,000 lines of knitting, you have a sweater. So think of repetition as the way to literally materialize yourself. You don't get insight by doing things this way and this way and this way and this time and this time and that time. You get insight by repetition. And repetition isn't like this. It's not spherical. It's um, whatever that's called. Like Like, going upward, vertical, voluminous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Like a vortex. Yes, because you are always growing. So, you know, for example, if you read the Bible or you read it, I read the Old Testament. Um, being Jewish. And every year I come around to reading the same Torah portion, the same story in the, in the, in the Torah, like whether it's uh, Noah's Ark or, you know, whatever it is, I am different each year. So the story has different meaning for me each time. So there are insights to be gotten each time it becomes, there has a, there has to be a, a, you know, if you ski down a mountain and you Ski that same trajectory six times. Well, by the sixth time, 
you know all the landmarks. By the sixth time, you know where there's a little dip here. By the sixth time, you know how, um, how acute that turn is. The first time, everything's just like, whoa, you're just thinking, I'll try not to fall. But by the sixth time, you really have fluency. So think of it that way. That fluency, whether it's on your mat or in your body, is the same. So when you repeat something over and over again, it's like learning a language. At first, you're just, uh, it, 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 uh, you're just sounding out letters. And then you're like really learning vocabulary. And then you're putting sentences together. But when you're really fluent and you dream in that language and you can have a rich conversation in that language, you can be funny in that language, that's fluency. You don't get that by learning a different language every week or starting over all the time or doing what you feel and making up words. That is not um, true depth. So real fluency, real um, uh, repetition of technique over time is when you become dimensional. And so uh, technique, repetition, and time is what it's all about. So uh, repetition materializes you. Technique refines and helps you grow. And time takes it off the page into experience. It changes you. Yeah. And there's a bit of, there's a bit of self-discipline with repetition. No. Well, I, 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 I know I, you love those words, by the way, discipline, accountability. I know they're right. Like I'm not a lover like of those words, words because they're, well, they're pejorative or like they're a school army. And instead, you know, like I want, I'm doing this, um, 30 days of a home practice with the, um, with the Dubliners. I just went to Dublin last week. I'm trying to call it an experiment and not like this is a 30 day challenge. You know, you better do this or like accountability. Like I just don't like any of that. So I only want them to do it for the pleasure of it, for the insight of it, for um, the accomplishment of it and for the, you know, what they're going to get from it or Jared, as you remember this conversation we had or to explore the resistance because that is part of therapeutic, any therapeutic endeavor has resistance in it because there's always a piece of you that um, has the capacity to explore oneself in ways that you're going to be surprised. Yeah. That's a really good, good concept is like looking at resistance and, and what do you mean by looking at resistance? So if I ask you to do something for 30 days, some people are going to say, I'm in, I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm, I, I can't wait. You know, and then those are the people like you're never going to see again. Right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> right, or you're going to see someone who's like, not so sure. And they're going to really try. Or there's someone who's a real people pleaser, all this, right. Like we all come in different shapes and sizes and colors, but resistance is the um, avoidance of discomfort. Mm. And that is what we're going to see from all of us, because some of us can't do the poses. Some of us are just challenged by getting into the poses. Some of us, um, uh, you know, some of us are afraid we're not going to do it right. Some of us are going to be really competitive. And if I ask for 10 minutes, they're going to give me 30. Right. And then they're going to burn out quick. You know, so like Mm. it's really good to look at how you play the music after I give everybody the same musical score. It's good to see, do, do, have I done this, this way before? What's my pattern? How am I relating to this? So it's always, you know, resistant to anything. And I think that makes the impersonal personal or makes it more personal. Exactly. 
right. All of this ultimately is personal. Yeah. All of this, the, 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 the more formal the recipe, the more I'm going to use it personally. If you show me a map of how to get someplace, I'm going to try and determine a route that really suits me. Some people like the sea and they're going to take the water, you know, they're going to take, they're going to go, they want to be near water. So they're going to go near, you know, they're going to follow the river. Some people like mountains and they're going to go over the mountains, you know, even if it takes longer, you know, so we all find our road, but ultimately, ultimately we're all trying to get to the same place, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter what, but repetition and the mastery of anything demands repetition good technique over time. Mm -hmm. And for that, there's no shortcuts. Like for that, it's like, you know, uh, you know, that's why I always refer to Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. First of all, it's an American story, which I really love. And, you know, a lot of fairy tales are not. But, you know, Dorothy, you know, the Wizard of Oz is the ultimate story of self-awareness, of having to face oneself, of having to face the fact that I don't think I'm intelligent enough. So I meet the scarecrow and then I'm afraid that I don't have the heart to do all this. And that's the tin man. And then I don't have enough courage to keep going. And that's the lion. And then to think that there's somebody else that has all the answers. And that's of course the wizard. And like, you know, you are your own wizard. You are your own intelligence. You have enough heart. I mean, we're all given that by nature. Mm -hmm. And then how do you play it all? You stay in that road and you keep having your insights and you keep going. And it is never, never, never about being perfect. It is always about referencing something that's inspiring to you, referencing an ideal, following a map, not to be rigid, but to reference it because you don't, you know, you don't drive a line. You, you, you reference a line. We there's yeah. no curves in the body. There's no, I mean, there's no straight line in the body. There's no straight lines in nature. Everything, all journeys, all people, all pieces of nature are our, our, um, hills and valleys. And I love the metaphor of the Wizard of Oz. And I think sometimes people are looking for rather like insights, they describe them as epiphanies, but I think sometimes they're small over time. I think it's an insight built on an insight, on an insight, on an insight. Would, yes. would you have any thought on that? Yeah, I love that. It's like, you know, every time, I mean, for some people, every time they get on their mat, if they have the littlest bit of insight, it will take them to the next one. If they can really... You know, gee, what, you know, it's like, it's like those, all these people who say, oh, think of gratitude. What, what, what did you do today? And what, what are you grateful for? You know, like its purpose is to really like be positive, you know, think well of yourself, think well of your neighbor, you know? So I love that, Jared. I think it's like, you know, in lots of ways, it's the little epiphanies, not the big, huge ones. The huge ones come once in a while. It's and in the- therapy, and in therapy, I work with people for years and those are usually the people I don't want to label people that tend to do the best, but like there it's because they've been working with me five, 10 years, you know, in therapy that it's like insight after insight after like they're learning along the way. And I go to therapy myself for the past 10 years and it's like, I don't ever want to stop. Right. Because you know? The imagination, anything implicit is infinite. What you can see, what is explicit is finite. We were all given a body. We're all given two eyes, two nostrils, a mouth, two ears. All of that is finite. The imagination is infinite. And that's why, Jared, you're so, that was so profound that 
Imagination is infinite. And that's why, of course, you can keep on peeling the onion. It never stops. You know, you think you get to the center of something and then that center is a center because we are so dimensional and you can keep going forever. We could have this conversation for 10 hours and not run out of things to say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people can be in therapy for years because they keep having experiences, right? Anywhere you can go is like, whoa, there's another big narrative. Anywhere you go there, oh, there's a narrative. Any relationship here, oh, there's a narrative. You talk about your mother, oh, there's a narrative. You talk about yesterday, that's a narrative, right? Anywhere you can go is an experience in your mind. Anywhere you can't go stays as a desert. Mm. And so it is on you to be able to go in all these places in order to, you know, like when we talk about um, home practice, when we talk about home practice, which is my favorite part of our practice, that's why I keep coming back to it. When we talk about home practice, that is the ultimate way to know yourself, to be with yourself, to love yourself, and to be able to develop yourself. So the way that you get in has to be through the breath, because the breath will take you into the imagination. The imagination will take you in to yourself. And so you have to go through these layers, just like you learn anything. Mm-hmm. But time is really what gives that to you. So staying with something over time is really where all the insights are. And that is, you know, frustrating for some people to hear because, you know, we're impatient. We want to get things right away, you know, you know, but there are aspects of it that you do get right away, like the concept of measure. You measure up. We always say to people when they first come, we know you're going to try hard. We know you're going to work hard. We're not really interested in that. What we're interested in, how you measure up. So, you know, twice around your thumb is your wrist and twice around your wrist is your neck and twice around your neck is your waist. So, you know, the first thing we ask you to do is get on your hands and knees and put your hands together. So your third fingers, which are usually your longest meet, and then you flip them out and that's where your hands belong. And that's going to give you shoulder distance and then your knees or hip distance. And then you get your feet down. So you now, have, now you have your hands down and your knees down and your feet down. You are substantiating your hips, which are in the air, and your shoulders, which are in the air. And then you put yourself on a spit from your head to your tail. So we ask you to organize yourself. First thing you get do, you get on your mat, get organized. Hmm. First thing you do is that you orient yourself. And that's a good starting point. Yeah. Right? Um, what would you say? And I think, um, this, this is another, you know, I'm not going to label it loaded question, but, uh, <laughs> cause I feel like it could go a lot of different directions, but would you say, as we're kind of nearing the end of the podcast, I think a good question is like, I'm sure you have seen Katona yoga and the concepts change people's lives off the mat. Um, can you speak to that at all? That not even their physical practices change, but their life has changed. Can you? Yeah. And, you know, you don't get one without the other. So good, good theory, point. Right. Because theory underpins practice and practice substantiates the theory. So, you know, it they augment each other. They are a dialogue and you are the mediator. So, for example, if you have a dilemma, you magic square yourself. That's one way. And those who have used that as a, you know, to see where you are in time and space, 
um, start to learn that if you read a map, instead of making a decision with a feeling, you might get an answer that you're not expecting. But it is an answer that has more information in it than your feeling, which is going to change in 10 minutes. Right, right. So theory is very important. So we use, so am I making a decision from my feelings because my mother said so, or because they did it this way, because it's my gut instinct, or am I really using information to make a, a, a decision? And then can I take those two things and organize them so that they are um, really mediated and uh, not, what's the word? Um, that they don't stay as separate endeavors. So, um, Emanuela, you are you are you familiar with the Magic Square? Um, I am, but like just a little bit. So I was exposed to it through Meridina and Felipe and Jared, but I haven't taken any like formal training on it. Okay, so let's say let's not be on our mats then. Let's just be in life. Mm-hmm. Say that you want to um, move. Sure. I'm really good at that. Oh my God, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. Okay. So the first thing you do is you go for the route of the magic square and you use that spit from the universe all the way down, all the way through yourself from the baby soft spot at the top of your head, through your skull, through your throat, through the blah, 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 blah all the way down to the perineum. So you go to the bottom and that is room one. And that's like your boiler room. And you want to light that fire, right? Because that's what the boiler room is. It gives you enough heat to have a desire, right? So what's my desire? My desire is I want to move. And then I react and I move all the way up to room two. And room two is like the attic of your house. And room two is a reaction, like, you know, hitting the back of the head on the right. That's the attic. It's like, whoa, oh my goodness. I can't believe that I actually want to do this. (laughs) I thought I was good here for a while. Like, Oh my God, I want to move. I am so crazy. I'm going to move again. I can't believe it. I thought I was like happy here and this was working for me. So it's a two is reaction and it's elliptical, right? Because nothing is straight. It's, you know, so two, three in time, you go around the back to your armpit, which is your heart. And the heart is the kitchen. Now you're in the kitchen of your house and you've gone around your back. And anytime we're talking about going around your back with your imagination, we're talking about moving in time. Okay. So now you have one, I dropped in, I want to move. Two, I react, oh shit. Three, I go around and in time, I put my heart in it. When I put my heart in it, I articulate everything about this decision. I articulate my thoughts, my feelings, it's on my left. So it's, it's just uh, what I think about, my, my innocence, right? My heart, my feelings, everything about my feelings. Four, I rise because the heart always hunts for vision, but four is on the left. So it's the innocence of my vision. So four is like, what's out there for me? How do I dream this? How do I think it'll be? Right. So the innocence of vision. And then five is the middle of my chest. That is the room of your own. It is the eye of the practice. It is self-reflection. I reflect on myself. Hmm. Can I do this? Do I really want to do this? Can I really do this? Who am I in to want this? Oh my goodness. Can you know, like everything about me, mm-hmm. the eye of the practice. And after I stay here for a while and I go back to one, then I go to two again, that right. Cause five has a portal to every other room. So I might repeat it all. And then six is stepping out into the world. Take a risk, put the bill, put your best foot forward. Start looking for that apartment. <laughs> oh my gosh. Go out <laughs> into the world. 
and start looking around. Where do I belong? Right? Because belonging is all about the bottom floor. Where am I going to feel safe? That's about the bottom floor. Mm. Right? Where, 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 where is my stability going to be? That's about the bottom floor. And then rise to seven. Seven is always seven up. Seven is techniques, managing, following through, the long, hard road around. So seven is the right arm. It's the hand of the world. It's on the right. So it's going to be worldly. It's keeping this thing going. So it's the rise of my spirit. That's, can I keep this going? Can I stay with my original goal, which to, right, is to have a desire to move. And then seven is the long, hard road around. And the long, hard road is in time back to eight. And eight is the bottom floor on the left. So if the right leg is mobility out into the world, the left is stability, hormones in time, embodiment. So I embody my goal. So making goals is in room two. The diagonal is how I embody my goal. Mm. I land in the embodiment. I find that apartment after the long, hard road in time. And nine is always a little back bend up, up into the front because nine is part of potential because nine is mediated vision. The third eye, it is achievement. Mm. So if you, th- you know, so um, my, uh, my thoughts in the back of my mind are on two, the reaction, and four is the other eye, and that's the innocence. And when you put them together, you have nine, which is mediated vision. And so it is the creative process that I engage in instead of saying, do I want this? Do I not want this? Like, you know, there's, and, and guaranteed, if you go through the circuitry or the route of the magic square, you'll know, where do I get caught? Where couldn't I articulate? What do I have to repeat all over again? What room do I get stuck in? Where do I put all my thoughts? Which square? Which room in my house do I get stuck in? Right. So chances are when you get stuck in one room in your body, that is also where you have issues. Mm-hmm. So wow. if room seven, where you always get caught in the long, hard road, is also where your right shoulder always has a little chink in it, it tells you lots. And so it takes you onto the mat in a way, but it's also going to tell you off the mat, where might I have trouble? So when people have, so a lot of older women have issues in their left hip and that is hormonal. It is also uh, aging. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things in the body, because there's no difference between the mind and the body, right? And our neurology is a tracking system. So a lot of ways in which we get caught in areas of our body are also clues to the implicit, the implications of our lives. And that is where we can see, you know, where people say, oh, the mind-body connection. Well, that is really what it is. Mm -hmm. Because uh, you are no different on the mat or off the mat. Because what you're doing at poses show things. Because you're pulling it out of yourself. So we always get to see people's techniques, not only how they do yoga, but how they live their lives. Oh, I love that. And, yeah. and Emmanuel, you magic squared that move before you did it? Uh, I did not, but I can see where I'm stuck. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Yeah, now I'm interested what room you're hanging out in. Um, I think a lot of people... 
a lot of people get stuck in five, I think. Oh, really? I was going to say that a lot of people get stuck from two to three and seven to eight. I was going to say I'm right between seven and eight. Yes. The long, hard road. It's the long, hard road around. It takes a lot of time. And so you can't be, you know, it keeps you from being impulsive for one thing. How many times have I told you, I just need to give it more time. I just need to give it more time. Like every time we speak to each other, I'm like, oh, it's just going to take a little bit more time. And Emmanuel did get her body read um, by Mary Dana when she came. And part of it was this time game. Yeah. It's like, you you know, so that's interesting that it's coming full circle. Mm -hmm. Seven and eight is where you have that hard time being patient. Maybe you are Um, not to like psychoanalyze Emmanuel, but. I mean, we uh, do that. We do that weekly. <laughs> um, but I know, is there any dying questions, Manuel, that you have for Abby? Because I appreciate her taking so you know time I know. life to to do this. No, I think I just I don't know. I love when we get to have a guest that, and you know, we flip flop between like your guests or the, the, your teachers and like the people that I bring in, and I just feel so inspired and like keen to go and find out more and just like. You know, I love to learn. I love to meet people. So I just, I have a lot to think about and to consider, which is lovely. So I'm very thankful. Is there anything, um, Abby, you want to add before we ask you, like where they can find you? and Yes. Well, we, our studio is um, thestudio.yoga. And um, we have a lot of um, trainings and workshops coming up. And um, I travel to all different parts of the world to teach um, usually a 30-hour Katoni yoga training. And um, I've just been in Dublin. I'm about to go to Basel next week. And then after that, Montreal. And then after that, Mexico. And then uh, back to Germany. So there's, um, so there's, and our studio has, and we do a lot on, we do a lot on Zoom. I love Zoom. We have Zoom classes. We have in-person classes. And our workshops are all on Zoom. And, you know, it gives us a real way to, expand our community and interact with all different um all different ways to do yoga and people who are practicing in lots of interesting ways cool that's amazing all right well abby thank you so much and we um can't wait till we get to launch this one and we hope that everybody enjoyed um thank you for being on beyond the mat thank you for having me